All right. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, we, uh, we feel so blessed to be here. It's been such a great journey. Uh, many of you have been with us before, some of you since about Easter. And uh, uh, one of the things that's just central to us as a church is we want to be just focused on Jesus. We, we, we want to we know Jesus. We want to know better who is Jesus and what does it mean in my life to know him and, and to follow him? How does it affect the ways that I live? And so a few weeks ago on Easter, um, we, uh, we, were, we were reading the story found in Luke, uh, which is the gospel that we've been, we've been studying as a group uh, on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and it told the story of Jesus appearing to two men just after his res- resurrection, some of the first people to see Jesus risen from the dead. And, um, and they come to realize it's him. And they are so baffled. How could this be the risen Messiah, the Savior of our people. They're so confused. And so it says that Jesus went back and he explained to them uh, from the beginning how Jesus was the surprise answer to, uh, the, the, to Israel's plight, to Israel's story and history. So we launched from that into this is the third week, and, and the last week we'll be kind of looking at, so what is this big story of God? Now, uh, different of a... a Different people here, we, we all process differently, we all enjoy different things, and I'll admit that this has been a little bit head level. If you like puzzles, if you like the way a puzzle comes together, or if you like a math problem and the way it just connects, and you're like, oh my goodness, that makes sense, well then this is the sort of uh, series for you. Um, if not, I think it's valuable for all of us to be looking at this big story, the macro picture of what has God been doing. And, and, I, and I hope it's been somewhat interesting. I hope it is today as we, as we try to conclude it. Um, this, this question of, so how does the Bible fit together? We have all these different stories, and we could tell different stories about Noah and creation and, and, and Moses and Exodus and, and, and the story of Jesus, and there was this guy named Paul, but what's the connection? How does this fit? And, and let me just say that as a person of faith, the way this story comes together, together uh, is, is the reason, I ha- is, is a primary reason that I have the faith that I have, because to me, it's a, it's a beautiful story. So today we're going to be in, um, in the book of Isaiah. Uh, if you want to start turning there, it'll be, it'll be just a minute, but let's, let's pray over this as we engage God's words this, this morning. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this time, and, and Father, I pray that you will uh, speak to us this morning. Father, that you will um, use me as a tool in your hand, Father, that you will speak a message that, that has uh, meaning, significance, power, uh, just transformative power in, in all of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we begin our series looking at a man named Abram. Uh, and God came to a man named Abram, uh, changed his name to Abraham, um, and, uh, and he invited Abraham onto an epic journey. He said, Abraham, even though you're 75 years old and you have no children, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, uh, and so Abraham uh, believed God. He had faith. And he, he moved, he left his home and his family and the people he knew, and he headed out on this journey that God had invited him on. Years later, God's people uh, were in Egypt, and they had been uh, enslaved by the Egyptians. And so last week, we looked at the Exodus story. As God invites his now two or three million people strong nation of Israel uh, up out of slavery in Egypt and invites them uh, to, uh, to a journey towards the promised land, the land that he had promised to Israel. 
the Israelites' people. And so we saw God's power, and we explored specifically what does it mean to be um, the people of God. And, and we saw that God, well, he redeemed his people. He, he bought them out of slavery. We, we saw that God dwells amongst them. We saw that God has a mission and a plan that they will be priests, that they will be God's advocates in the world, that God's, uh, both in, the, in both the first two weeks, that, that the world will be blessed through these people that God has invited on his mission, that God's mission was a global one, and he chose people to participate in that mission. And so today, uh, as, we, as we engage the book of Isaiah, uh, there's a huge leap. If we wanted to draw this series out, we could draw it out indefinitely. But we're making a huge leap today. Um, following the Exodus story from last week, God's people uh, find their way to Cana, uh, Cana the, the promised land, and, um, and they take the land, God, God uh, gives them the land, they become a powerful nation. And in the height of Israel's story, in the promised land, um, they, are, they are known worldwide for many things. David, one of their kings, was powerful in battle and, and won the battles that brought them into the nation. Uh, Solomon was renowned uh, throughout the world as, as um, the wisest of men. And, and so there's stories of men and women from other nations coming just to sit under Solomon and to learn from him. I mean, at the height, Israel was high up there. But in time, uh, you see the story play out over and over again through the Old Testament. God's people break covenant, and um, and uh, there's consequences to their uh, rejecting their God and worshiping other gods. And so by the time we engage the story of Isaiah, God's people are now in exile. That simply means uh, many of them are not living in their land. They are not in control of their land any longer. The new world power now is Babylon. as Isaiah enters the stage. And and Babylon has come in and conquered God's people. And uh, you can read the story of uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as as people from Israel, the brightest and the best, the most capable, the most beautiful, are taken from their country and brought to Babylon where they have to serve another king who serves other gods, right? And they find themselves in exile, in slavery again. God's people have again sunk to the lowest of lows. And, and many of us might be familiar with, with what it's like, the, the kind of questions that are asked when, when we find ourselves in low spots in life. I, I'd imagine the Israelites are asking questions like, you know, how, how did we break covenant with God? What did, what did we do wrong? What was so bad about what we did? They're asking, why is the exile persisting so long? Shouldn't this be ending? I mean, haven't we endured enough punishment? Right? They're asking big and hard questions. Uh, you know, has God forgotten us completely? Where, where is God? Is what they want to know. Is God strong enough to deliver us? What's next? for us as a people. And, and you know, we, we talk about it globally, but as we consider ourselves as individuals in the story, as a person of the nation of Israel in this season, I mean, families had been separated in exile, some taken off into slavery and some left in Israel. To, the economy is bad. I mean, t- life is tough and their questions are real and their questions are honest and their questions are hard. And so, um, as any nation in a time of struggle and turmoil, uh, people step up with solutions, with, with answers. So, so here's what's going on, or here's how it can change. And so, uh, I'll be a little bit brief on this, but I think it's kind of an interesting point. So, throughout Scripture, 
and, and Israel's story and, and their documentation of it, we see five major responses to exile. We see five major understandings of, of what exile uh, is and, and why they were experiencing what they were. So the Deuteronomic theology, well, it's, it's explanatory in nature. So essentially it says, this is why we're in exile. This is what we did. This is a story. It offers no solutions. It didn't have a conclusion to the story, but it was, it was just an attempt to explain why we are where we're at. Now, you, you, we can probably relate to this. In fact, I think we'll relate to all these because we see these same thought process played, processes played out either in, in faith or just in everyday life. When we go to a, a friend with a struggle, I am hurting right now, and they say, well, yeah, it's because you're an idiot. Here's what you did, right? Uh, that, that, was, that was this um, theology. It was just explanatory in nature, and it's like, man, I don't need you to explain to me. I just need someone to pat me on the shoulder and tell me I'll be all right, but, but that was one of the main thoughts of the day, right? Okay, the wisdom response then, um, it, it's like the books of Proverbs and Job. The story of Job is a fascinating story, as um, there's all these explanations as to why Job, right? He was in a time of exile. He, he had lost everything and he's hurting. And, uh, and so the, the wisdom responses, well, the challenge they face is they placed God outside of history, right? So like all Job's friends come to him saying, uh, yeah, you know, forget God, just curse him and do your own thing. He has left you. God is so distant in, uh, in these explanations of, of why bad things are happening. So, so, so there's glimpses of, of wisdom and, and, and true things in each of these. And yet this especially just falls so short of, of the, the story that God has been painting throughout the Old Testament. Um, but people are, are saying, no, God, God, he's just, he's distant now. Um, the priestly response, like in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and, and these books, um, well, it was restorationist in nature. So, and this will be a familiar one to us as well. Well, if you just get your act together, if you do it right, if you purify yourself as a nation, well, then God's going to lift you up out of exile and everything will be okay. So the priests are telling the nation, just do it right. Just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and it's going to be all right. Then God will step back in and take care of everything. Okay, the fourth response was the apocalyptic response, and that has to do with, um, well, uh, this is irredeemable. Like, we can't fix what's happening to our nation. However, God will interject something in the end, and it will be made okay. So the, in the end times, it will be resolved. God will step back in eventually, but for now, it just can't be fixed. This is common thought amongst Christianity. In fact, by the way, this response is played out throughout the New Testament as well. There's like this promise of, yeah, we have purpose, we have hope, we can receive healing in this life, but ultimately, there is still this apoc- apocalyptic nature to, in the end, things will ultimately be set right, right? So, so we see this response continuing to be played out today. And the final and fifth response, and this is where we're going to reside today in Isaiah, starting in chapter 40, um, the Isaiah response. Um, uh, Isaiah comes in with something brand new. He, uh, he says, God is doing something new. It, it reimagines Israel's covenant role with God. They're all asking questions. Where's God? What has happened? They're in a panic. And it says, hold on, step back. The covenant is not over. And God is doing something new. Um, it, it, uh, 
it, let's see, it says, um, it's probably the most daring and exciting and, and like incredible thing that could have happened in the time of Israel, right? They have all these explanations about a distant God or a hopeless, a hopeless nature to where we're at. And Isaiah comes in saying, take a step back. God is still God. God is still active. And God is doing a new thing, an unexpected thing. And it's Isaiah and, and, and the explanation that, that we'll just get a glimpse of today that enables Israel to understand Jesus as their Messiah, that eventually they come to realize that, that was him. So Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, let's look at it together. By the way, let me pause just briefly to say, um, some of you like electronics, and I have been for the past few weeks um, putting up our church service as an event on Uversion. Um, it's a free version of the Bible. And uh, if you have the latest version downloaded, you can go just search events around you. You'll find the Vine Church and you'll find uh, some of these notes and uh, the scriptures as well. And what's cool about that is you can interject your own notes. You know, you can, uh, you can put your own notes in, highlight verses and things that you can come back to later. I should have said that at the beginning, but instead I said it in the middle. And uh, just, we'll, we'll cut that out of the podcast. All right. Okay. So, um, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. This is what God says to a hurting, a broken people through this man, Isaiah. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain hill will be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. So the message begins, take comfort. Find comfort. God is not distant. God has not abandoned us, has not abandoned us. Our situation is not hopeless, but instead find comfort. The beginning of this message that God is doing something new and something beautiful. Uh, it, it says every valley will be raised and every mountain brought down. Uh, the nations like Babylon that tower over you and rule in harsh ways, they will be brought down. God's not done with this story. The valleys, the low places, the hard spots in life, the, the, the rejected and, and the dejected and the hurting people will be brought up. God will level the playing field uh, in what he is going to do. This is the promise that Isaiah starts to bring to this nation, and I, I can only imagine how little they could perceive it. In, in hurting times, right, these seem like just a whim and a hope and a dream that could never come true, but God says, take comfort. Because something new is coming, that, that the rough places will, will be made into a plane, that they will be smoothed out, that all that is preventing people from coming to God and being in relationship and finding him again, no, that'll be smoothed out, and, uh, and there will be access, a, a highway to our God. And he says at the end there, and all mankind together will see it. That, that not just the Israelite people will come to know this new thing that God is doing, but everyone will come to see what God is accomplishing. And so the story continues in um, uh, chapter 42. God has said, you know, take comfort. It's coming. In verse 42, he begins to introduce the means by which it'll happen. Chapter 42, verse 1, I'm sorry. Uh, Here is my servant 
whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. And so it speaks of this servant throughout this portion of Isaiah. It's going to speak of a suffering servant, a servant who is going to come to begin to right the wrongs. And Israel says, no, we're already servants. We don't need more servants. But God is saying, no, this servant is coming to set things right, to change the nature of it all. And it speaks then to the nature of Jesus as he comes uh, in, in verse 3. A bruised reed he'll not break, a smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. And just imagine in our times that doesn't resonate much with us, but imagine in a home that candlelight is your only light. We can't flip a switch like we do today, um, but candlelight's our only light, and eventually a candle becomes worth, worthless as it can't burn any longer, and it's now just a smoldering wick at the bottom of a candle, and all you have to do is now snuff it out because there's nothing left of value in it. And God is speaking of this Israelite nation that, I mean, what left do they have to give as broken as they are in exile? But as Jesus comes, he's not about snuffing out that smoldering wick. It speaks of the compassion and the love of Jesus and the hope that's found in him. And that is the nature of the suffering servant who is coming it says that, that um, he'll bring justice to all the earth, and in his law, the islands will put their hope. And, and Isaiah throughout, it's going to speak about the islands and the outer lands. It's speaking of nations outside of Israel. The farthest reaches of the earth is what it refers to as it says islands. Everyone will come to know this new thing that God is doing. And in chapter 49, last little glimpse we'll take here in Isaiah, it says, but it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Uh, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So I want to take just a minute and rewind the story of the Israelite people to God's initial covenant saying, I will bless you that you can be a blessing to the entire world, right? That was the covenant. And Israel, I mean, in glimpses, but never fully took hold of this idea that our blessing and our mission is for the sake of the whole world. It was just kind of missed over and over throughout Israel's history. So here's the beautiful thing that we see in Jesus as, as the culmination of that. Um, you, you remember when we first talked, we said, God said, I will take on the consequence of a breach of covenant. And Jesus on the cross took on that consequence for the people of Israel. And here's what happens as the story of Israel plays out. Uh, years later, as, as Jesus comes to earth, uh, Israel is just just lost. They, they, they cannot understand this Jesus to be their Messiah. In fact, it's them who have him crucified, who take him to the Roman authorities and have Jesus crucified. Israel is a smoldering wick that God should have snuffed out a long time ago for the sake of Jesus, right? For his, for his life, but he didn't. Instead, he had a different plan. And so as Jesus raises from the dead, like we looked at a few weeks ago on Easter, he appears to hundreds of people. 
And he reminds them of the story of God that's been taking place for thousands of years in the Israelite nation. He reminds them that God had a plan just like this. He reminds them, remember that God said it would be Israel that blesses all the world. And so at Pentecost, we read in Acts 2, uh, the Holy Spirit comes on the, the Israelite people, the Jewish people that are there celebrating a feast. And, um, and on that day, thousands of people came to know the hope found in Jesus Christ. And for years, uh, Christianity developed as a sect of Judaism there in Jerusalem until Paul and some other missionaries begin to take this message out to the Gentiles. And so born out of the Israelite people, born out of God's people there in Jerusalem, came a worldwide movement that you and I are the islands. We are those people far off that God promised through Israel, blessing is going to come to the entire world. And, and God's faithfulness in this journey is staggering to me. As we consider who is this God that I have put my hope in, It's a God who, against all odds, in spite of the unfaithfulness, would be faithful to that promise that I will bless the world. And the church began and was born out of this Israelite nation. And now you and I know the hope that's found in Jesus. God has truly blessed the world uh, as he promised to in that covenant with a man named Abram thousands and thousands of years ago. So here's what I want to explore as, as we kind of conclude and, and as we talk just about our lives. So what does it all mean to me? Great history lesson, interesting stuff about Israel, but really what does it mean in my life? What does it invite me to? What does it call me to? And it's this simple truth, that Jesus is the surprise answer. Israel didn't get it. It took so long for them to understand Jesus as the answer. Even his apostles walking with them daily, they just didn't understand the plan that God had in it all. But Jesus was a surprise answer for the, for the exile, for the problems that Israel faced. You know, in the midst of our lives, the busyness of life, it can be incredibly hard to see Jesus as an answer. Now, for those of us that have been following Jesus for most of our lives, you know, it's something we can fall back on. But let's be honest, in the midst of our struggle, if, if we aren't rooted in this, we find it so hard to see Jesus as an answer to anything in life. And I want to explore Jesus as this surprise answer, as hard as it can be to see. Zach, will you play that video for us? I, I thought this illustrated well. Right? And isn't that the story of Israel? I mean, all the chaos and struggle and slavery and difficulty had just blinded them, had blurred their vision to the fact that they couldn't see what God was doing. And I think many of us find ourselves in a similar place, whether you're a follower of Jesus and have been for a long time or just new to the idea, our vision becomes so blurred by the busyness of life that it becomes really challenging to understand that Jesus can be our comfort and our hope in the struggles that we face. And so, I mean, we look at, so, so what's going on in our lives at this moment? Where can I invite Jesus in? To, to clear my vision, to, to bring beauty and hope out of the ashes. How can I invite him? And, you know, we have this universal need to belong, right? I mean, everyone needs a place to belong. And in seasons in life where we feel distant and alone, think about the insane, outrageous things that we do to try to belong and to try to fit. And Jesus provides this unexpected answer. 
to belonging in life. He, you know, Jesus, as, as children would come to him and, and his apostles would say, no, he's too busy. He'd say, no, let that child come to me. Children are important to me. He'd sit in a Pharisee's house and, 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 a, and a prostitute would come and wash his feet with her tears and everyone's looking down on them. But Jesus says, no, she has a place of belonging in my kingdom Right, Time and time again, Jesus invited a tax collector as hated a man as could be. Yeah, worse than the IRS. Like, worse than the way you feel about the IRS. Yeah, tax collectors in the day, they were traitors to their people. They were working for Rome and stealing from their own people, right? And, and, and he'd invite a tax collector say, come follow me. And he'd make him one of the 12 apostles, one of the 12 people that the, the church was built upon. See, Jesus says, there is a place of belonging here in my kingdom. And it's the reason that as a church, as we begin this journey, we said, number one, is that people need to be able to belong here. Like, like that's who Jesus was. He offered a place of belonging. And in, in life, I mean, so many things get us down as... Um, a relationship is in turmoil. Our boss at work is just a jerk. And, and so all signs in life are saying, no, you're just not good enough, right? I mean, we hear this message over and over, you're just not good enough. And Jesus says, no way. Jesus is this unexpected answer that says, I want you to know that right now where you're at in life, you are, you are good enough. You're to die for. Right? Jesus literally said, I would, I would die for you. You were that good. That's Daniel's line when we were having coffee this week. You're to die for, right? Isn't that good? I love that. Jesus, Jesus is a surprise answer. Um, in, in our pursuit of affluence, we want more riches. We want a better job, right? We just want to get that leg up. But Jesus says, hold on. In my kingdom, there's a totally different currency. Store up treasure that's eternal. Store up treasure in relationship and the love that will last for eternity. In our sickness and in our loss, we, we can go to Jesus saying, Jesus, take away this ailment. And sometimes he does. And how beautiful is the power of God when he works miraculously in our lives. And sometimes, let's be honest, the struggle persists. And yet Jesus is a surprise answer that says, but the story is not over. There is hope beyond this. So I want, I want us all to consider this morning, as we head into our week, uh, on two levels, that Jesus is a surprise answer. In our, in our personal lives, I want us to explore that, that Jesus is an answer. And as we face challenges, let's invite him into the process to find that hope and healing that comes only in him. And secondly, this is where it's going to be a real surprise. People in our lives who are hurting and struggling that don't know Jesus, don't know this answer that we've found yet. So I want to encourage us this week to be bold, bold in love, that, that when, when we see hurt and when we see problems in life, when we see people struggling, to know that this hope that I have found in Jesus can be theirs as well. And to find the boldness to say in simple and loving terms, hey, I love you. And, and God does too. You know, find your wording. What does it look like to simply say to someone, there's hope beyond this. I have found beautiful things in Jesus. Hey, I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to this uh, dinner tonight. 
would you want to come join me? We're going we're gonna to look at the Bible a little bit and, and study. Hey, this next Sunday, we're going to have church. And, and it's a place that I, I, I'm just sure that you could feel welcomed. And, uh, and a place that maybe you could look for something a little bit different in life that might just be an answer, right? Uh, what does it look like in our lives to realize that I've placed my hope in Jesus and I look at a hurting world around me all week long and I want them to know that kind of hope. I want them to know the surprise answer that is Jesus. We come from, from many different places and with many different challenges this week. I want to I wanna encourage us to realize the surprise answer. Out of the blue, when our vision is incredibly blur- blurry, to realize that Jesus has an answer in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray about that. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together as we uh, dig into your word, as we explore uh, just this story that you have been uh, telling for thousands and thousands of years, the story of an Israelite people that you called into into special relationship to bless the world. And Father, we thank you for Jesus and the culmination of that blessing to the entire world. Father, we thank you for the hope that we've found in Jesus, and I pray that you will help us to put our trust and our hope in him more fully as we face challenges in this life, to realize him as an answer in life. And Father, I pray that you will help us to share this hope that we have with the world around us. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.